Today we come to the fourth installment in our series entitled Faith and Works, and we've been talking about faith, and so I thought, well, I might ought to just do Faith and Works since that's the, the title of the whole thing, and uh, of course, a uh, little redundancy, Faith and Works, Faith and Works, if you're looking at the title. The central texts that we have used for this entire series are Habakkuk 2, Seas puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. And then Romans 4, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then Romans 10, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So we come to uh, the interrelationship between faith and works. And what I want to do is just deal a little bit with how that works and how this all kind of shakes out in our day-to-day -day living. Number one, we are saved by the grace of God. It works through faith. Ephesians 2 for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, we sometimes say, oh, that guy's just a legalist, or something like that. True legalism is perhaps as bad a sin as could ever be committed, because what that is is taking stuff that we can do and substituting it for the cross of Jesus Christ, which is to say Jesus died for nothing because I can, I can do well enough and save myself. So I, I don't suppose we're ever going to stop slapping each other around with the word legalism, but if it's really true, the, the legalist is in dire trouble. And if you are that person... Get back under the grace of God and ask him to strengthen your faith because it is by his grace through faith that he puts in us. It's the gift of God and it's not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, now where then do works enter? What about works? Because we talk a lot about works here. Where then do works enter? Well, the rest of that passage from Ephesians 2, I only read the verses 8 and 9, verse 10 says, for, well, let me just start back at verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So before he made you, he made the stuff that he wants you to do. And so you were saved by the works of Jesus Christ. It's called the grace of God. Through the faith that God gives you, when you hear the message, there's something in you that rises up and says, maybe he will take me. Maybe he will forgive my sins. That rises up, and we move then into the business of the grace of God uh, and have enough faith 
And it starts off almost as just hope or, or almost like wishful thinking. But the Holy Spirit takes that and makes faith out of it. We believe God, trust His grace, we're saved, and then we're saved to do good works. But let me tell you this, that that's not the full explanation of what we're talking about when we talk about faith and works. We were saved by faith to do good works, but that's, there's more to it than that. So let's go then to a passage in uh, James, the second chapter. What is the full explanation of the relationship between faith and works? Here it is, James 2, beginning with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith and has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And uh, that's a rhetorical question with the, in the original language, they, they had a negative that expected a negative answer and a negative that expected a positive answer. And this is, can such faith save him? And in the original language, uh, it does not do any damage at all to the structure there in the Greek to say, no. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? And the, again, the answer is no good. In the same way, verse 17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, that just drives some people nuts because they're saying there's a conflict here between Paul saved by grace through faith and James Faith without works is dead. No, there's not a conflict at all. It is, as a matter of fact, they are both incomplete without the other. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And James, the hard-nosed uh, prag pragmatist, says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Big deal is another way to say that. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, there is a, a serious lack of the fear of God in our culture today. People are not afraid of God. Uh, as a matter of fact, they have just set him aside and made one that they like better, uh, one that uh, calls sin the stuff that they don't do and don't want to do. You understand how sin is? It's what the other guy does. It's not what you do. Okay. And so we, we make such a God. And uh, I, I remember discovering 40 years ago, everyone is a theologian. Everyone knows all about God. Just ask them and they'll tell you. And... My response to that, if you won't tell them what I said, is, you foolish man, <laughs> do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteousness for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Did you notice the past tense of the verb to offer? He offered his son Isaac on the altar. Now we know that he didn't actually cut Isaac's throat. 
and bleed him down and burn his body up. We know that. But in his heart, it was already done. He was already obedient to what God told him to do. And we see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And that's not undoing what uh, Ephesians, the second chapter says. That is the application of the fact that faith works. We have made faith mental assent. I, I believe there's a God. If your life is unchanged, no, you don't. No, you don't. If you do the etymology on the word believe, its background is Anglo-Saxon. To Anglo, it's a compound word, and it means to live by. That is, when you see something, if you believe it, you scoot over next to it. And it becomes who you are and what you do. That is real belief in the true sense of the word. When we're using believe, Abraham believed God. This was not like, you know, Sarah, I think God spoke to me and we're supposed to move and go away. And he just grows old and dies there. That's not faith. See, but that's what we want. I believe it. I heard the voice. No, you don't believe it. You heard the voice, but you don't believe it. Or you'd scoot over by it and live differently so that belief is a different lifestyle. You say, but that's works. No, you can't even do it in your own strength. I think, I think my personal testimony is, is perhaps an illustration of that. When I was uh, going through these really hard years of adolescence, uh, hard uh, more because of my guilt and, and unbelief than anything else. And so I knew what to do right, and I had prayed to receive the Lord. And I, as a, as a six-year-old, as a seven-year-old, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then all of this stuff that messed up my head uh, due to my personality type and, and the fact that I heard a lot of these scriptures that are better heard by people who have a, a grasp of abstracts, and I got the message before, and so that everything was concrete, and so all of this guilt and all this fear, and so th some of you will understand uh, this statement, I, I would get saved every Sunday night. Okay, now that was even pre-teens, and then, then at age 16, I'm at Southwestern, and so there is, there is all this... Uh, knowledge of the Word of God and of what right living is because my parents were so straight. They just loved God, loved each other, loved their sons, and loved the church, and they were kind of hard to pick at, and their flaws were pretty much out of sight. We just didn't have much that we, many stones we could throw at them, and so, so I knew what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to get up early in the morning and read the Bible and pray. 
Dad did it every morning of the world. Before the sun came up, he was up. And he didn't pray loudly. Some people talk about hearing their name called. I don't know that he called my name because I, I couldn't hear him. He, was pray, he wasn't trying to wake the house. He was talking to God, not to us. That's supposed to be cute. Anyway, <clears throat> it was an effort. So we, I would, I would uh, at Southwestern, I would say, okay, I'm going to do her. So I, would, I was good for three days. I, I would... I would keep my mind kind of clear in the lust area and read the Bible and pray early in the day. And I was good for three days. And then the wheels fell off. And I would, do, I, I, there's no telling how many times I did that. Because I was trying to do the stuff without the empowerment of God. Now, I had been saved. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I wasn't living in the power of God. I was, I, was, I was using my knowledge of what was right. And instead of getting to know God, you see, the Lord would have been so pleased if in the middle of the afternoon, not a holy time for devotional life in my understanding at that time, in the middle of the afternoon, I'd gone to my room and got in my little old poor pitiful chair it was not cheap it just wasn't comfortable little wooden chair sit at the little desk little tiny room two of us were in there but if I'd have gotten in that chair and, and propped my feet up and just kind of thought about the Lord and loved the Lord and, and recounted his goodness he would have been delighted with that I don't think he got a thing out of me getting up before the sun <laughs> he was already up anyway it didn't impress him now you see we we know what to do we know what to do. When God wants a, rela <clears throat> a relationship with us and we want to do something, well, if you're going to do something, do something that's easier than getting up early in the morning to read the Bible and pray. That's hard. Man, that's hard. There's only about 20% of, of us in our culture that, that are true morning people. The rest of us just fake it. And so that, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And so Abraham believed God, and how do we know that? He offered up his son. You say, well, he didn't kill his son. Yes, he did, right here. And that is so important. Church, it's a, it's a matter of our relationship with God. Let's read on here because here's an incredible example. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? You see, here is a gal that we would put pretty low down on the moral totem pole. And she is held up as a as an example of faith. How do we know she had faith? Because she risked her life to hide the spies. She risked her life to save her life. And the reason she was saved when Jericho fell, if you don't remember the story, uh, Jericho was destroyed by the hand of God at, as with the advancing armies of Israel, God's chosen people. And Jericho was the first town that they conquered in the promised land on the west bank and they 
they sent two spies in there. The king heard that they had come in there and had gone into her house because she operated a, a hotel, if you will, and provided this service on the side. And so they went in there, and when, when she realized that the officers were coming, she hid these guys so effectively that when they searched the house, they did not find them. And then when it got dark, she got them out of the city and the rope that she let them down over the wall was a red rope. And that, that's, that preaches, that, that goes back all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But um, the scarlet thread, have you ever heard that sermon? We've all preached it. If you haven't heard it, why, you're, you're deprived. But you'll, you'll hear it sometime. It'll, come, it'll, it'll make the round again. It's a good sermon. It's about Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. So, by, by loving the thought of life, by believing that the stories that she had heard about the power of God and the delivering of God for, the, for his people, the children of Israel, Rahab, the prostitute, saved herself and her whole house but it wasn't by just saying boy we all believe it because she said we all fear we, we're afraid we're we're quaking we're but she's the one that hid the spies and then did what they said and she carefully kept the instruction to stay inside the the place of safety the shelter that kept her from physical death. Now, if you think that God is not in the redeeming business, remember that Rahab later married into one of the Judean families, the family of the, of the tribe of Judah, and became an ancestor of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it's so cool. That is one of the cool stories of of God's redeeming so it is very important dear one that when you believe God you get with him and say okay God what do you want from me you start in the scripture you start with people who are successfully living by faith and let them help you and guide you in the scripture and in Rahab's case she had to make the decision quickly she, she could have gotten herself out of danger by turning these spies over to the authorities when they came to her house. Instead, she endangered herself to save herself in the long run. And I want to put something in here. We, by our very nature, long for and seek approval we want to be accepted. That is so important. In, uh, in adolescence and in post-adolescence, we call that peer pressure. But it's just as natural if you're a pre-adolescent or if you're an octogenarian, you want people to accept you. Now, a lot of older people finally begin to accept themselves, and so they, they don't worry about pleasing you as much and we think they're cranky and cantankerous 
and maybe they are, but mostly it's just like, you know, I like me the way I am, and if you don't, go sit on a tack. <laughs> and uh, that feels kind of good on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, we must always keep in mind that we're not here for our comfort. We are here to do the work of God. We were saved to do good works, which he prepared in advance. Don't forget that scripture. We are not doing away that scripture at all. You can't do away with scripture. Now, here's the deal. Failure to do things to help people in their distress, like widows, and if, if a guy is hungry and you say, God bless you, may your stomach be filled, and don't do anything. You don't have any faith. That's not faith. That's called escapism or something. Um, and verse 26 kind of sums it up as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Failure to help people in distress means dead faith, also known as no faith. Failure by Abraham to offer his son would not have been faith. Rahab was in a city full of people who believed, but she hid the spies. So how is your faith? You can tell by your lifestyle. You see, the scripture talks about repent and believe the gospel. And repentance has been poorly defined by us through the years. We think that it means confessing our sins with great remorse. No, man. Repentance means cutting it out. Anybody from Texas or Oklahoma know what cut it out means? That means stop that. That's repentance. So it's right there in the repent and believe the gospel. And it, those, those, those are almost, those two things are almost redundant because there is so much overlap between repentance and believing the gospel because when you believe the gospel, you will be doing the right stuff and stopping the wrong stuff. Let me, let me show you some of the places that you can test your faith. Do you believe that God can take care of you materially. If you don't tithe, you don't. You have mental assent. You say, yep. And when somebody stands up here and I, or I give my testimony of our experience with Eunice and I through the years, she just gave one a minute ago about this blessed thing. We get this room that I would, you know, I could probably afford it for one night. And uh, we stay there for and it did not destroy us financially. Because, and that was just a gift from God. It's like, where in the world did this come from? And I'm staying in as nice a hotel as is on Waikiki Beach. On the beach. You didn't have to cross the street to go from our hotel to the beach. You walk out of this eating area into the sand. I mean, it's, it was nice. I don't deserve that. But I believe God and faithful with my money to him, and he then blesses. Amen. Now, you say, ah, that's good. That, I believe that happened. But if you don't tithe, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. We talk about attending church. Um, it's a wonderful thing. Hebrews says, uh, you need to stop this forsaking the assembling, the King James. 
forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Anybody ever read the King James Bible? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And in other words, that means stop missing church. You say, I believe, I believe it helps. I believe in the church. I believe that God raises up the church. It helps me when I go to church. <clears throat> and if you don't go to church, why am I telling you that? You're here. You tell them I said that, okay? I get off your back. Let's talk about love. God is love, and he will come into my heart, and he will help me to love you or love myself, whatever needs to be loved. You know, some people are, are the Lord says, love your neighbors yourself, and there's some people I don't really don't want them to love me like they love themselves because they're suicidal. And I just, you know, I just don't want to go there. But the deal is, we say, I believe God can help you to love anyone. And we don't love. And we have this, we have this huge prejudice about um, class, about education, about race, about what kind of car we drive. We, we are really, maybe I should understand that this we is very general. We, the human race in the United States, will be prejudiced because of what some kind of car people drive. I know you wouldn't be like that. Of course, I would never be like that. Let's, let's, talk about, let's take this one step further. Let's talk about forgiving. I have had recently, in the last few years, some experiences where it got in my face that people who said, I forgive you when I'd apologize for something, that they, they were lying. They probably lie about other things too. They did not forgive me. Because in the presence of God, if you have anything of the Holy Spirit within you, when you forgive, you will not, for, you will not lose your mind. We hope you don't lose your memory. That's a, that's a serious pathological problem in the brain. But you will act as if you had forgotten. Did I say that? That was kind of... Mushy. I can get clearer. Let me work on it. When we truly forgive in the power of God, we will act as if we have completely forgotten it. Now, God Almighty is able to heal his memories and he can forget that stuff. But he did not give us that power, so we don't forget. But we can act as if. We had forgotten. And you say, well, that's a little bit unreasonable. It's totally unreasonable on the human side. Don't even go there unless you just happen to be one of those rare individuals that was born with this ability to just kind of forgive and just kind of go with the flow and always kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. The rest of us keep score. And some of us or on the far end of the, of the scale from those people who sort of go with the flow. We not only keep score, we compound the interest. <laughs> and it ain't great 
when we stand before God in his presence and he starts saying, uh, uh, look here. And I, I say, oh, no. God, I'm sorry. I, I thought they had done me wrong. Now I'm sinning against you by refusing to forgive that and just hold on to it. Well, after all, you did it to me. Why couldn't I hold on to it? Because it'll take you to hell, newbie, or whatever your name is. That's a good, really good reason to forgive. Jesus was really clear about this. He says, our Father, and he gets down here and he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then in every case where he gave that prayer, after he concludes the prayer, he says, for if you forgive men their sins against you, your Father in heaven will forgive your sins against him and then comes the part that even I, the non-theologian, can understand. He says, and if you don't, he won't. Say, well, bless God. Don't bless God me. Forgive. You say, I can't. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Because, see, this is where the rubber meets the road is when God is asking for something and we can't pull it off. We fear him. We want to do what he says, but we can't. You going to hell? No. I'm going to the Lord, and I'm going to say, God, I can't do that, but I believe you will. And then I can start acting as if I've already forgiven. And I find the emotion, all of that edge. You know when somebody, the thought of somebody comes to your mind and you just suddenly become kind of alert? That's called an adrenaline rush. That doesn't happen anymore after God gets to working over that forgiveness thing. You're out there, aren't you? You're, you, you look really alert. I know I'm reading your mail because every one of us deal with this or Jesus would not have spent so much time and made it so clear, absolutely clear. You can't misunderstand. But let me remind you one more time that what he demands, he has to come and help us do it. That's called grace. That's the grace of God. The best definition for grace in that setting is the strength to do what he demands when we don't have it. And so he makes it happen. And I remember looking at people that were offensive to me and didn't seem to mind swatting me emotionally, just slapping me across the chops emotionally. I remember looking at them and saying, when I'm in the Spirit of God, I don't think there's anything you can do to me that I can't forgive. I'm not talking about my strength. But when God is there, we can do all things. We can do it all. You say, I can never make friends with this, with this level of this standard of living. This, I'm too poor. I can't. Yes, you can. Go to the Lord and tell him, I know I'm supposed to be content wherever I am. 
and I'm not content. Will you please come and change my heart? He will. And then you can work better, less stress, sleep better, not be embarrassed because you can't eat at this place or drive that car. Anybody hear me? Folks, we're talking about a life of faith. The just, those people who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, those people can be full of joy, full of peace. They are contentment. You know that godliness, right relationship with the Father, hanging with the Father on all this stuff, godliness with contentment, King James says, is great gain. I love that. It, that the new... Newbie version says, that's the big bucks. Great gain. A few years ago, we had a few bucks in an IRA for Eunice in a mutual fund. And I would look at the reports, you know, and stick it to file. Next month or next quarter, look at the report and stick it to file. And then after a year went by, I looked at that and I said, what? And this thing was the talk of, of uh, all of the financial thing that year, that particular, fin- that particular uh, mutual fund, which w- was being administered by a local firm, was called, what, 20th century, now it's called American century, the Vista, 117% increase in one year. That's good. I wish that I had both dollars in there instead of just one. <laughs> Because then I'd been worth $4 instead of 3 You see, the thing is, when, when God comes in and works you over, he can make happen whatever you need. And you get this great gain far more than 117%. Because it didn't take long for another little cycle to go around, and we lost part of that, a chunk of that principle on paper that we had gotten on paper. And it's like, how can you ever get ahead? Stick with the Lord. Stick with the Lord. It's important to save. It's important to plan. That stuff is important. Don't please, and we'll get to that. If you can wait two or three months, we'll spend a month in next winter helping you with this stuff because God has answers. But the beautiful thing is that if we will let our faith bring man, I I look at the stuff that hits you and I just, my heart just aches. I know what some of you are going through. It stinks. That's the theological term. It is so hard, whether it's kids, grandkids, marriage, job, physical health, uh, maybe, maybe you're delighted with the new regime in uh, Washington, and you hated the, the, uh, the old one, so you're feeling better now, but if you liked the old one, then you're hating this one. And uh, you see, that can just grow and engulf your life. And that's not how we live. 
We live by faith. We live by faith. Washington is not our source, nor is it the devil. There is a devil. I just finished Job this morning. Bless his heart. Bless my heart for getting through it one more time. I always dread to get to Job. But this time through, I saw some stuff I'd never seen before. Maybe it's because I was dreading it so much. The Lord just had mercy. But you see, what Job and his, quote, friends, unquote, couldn't see was that there was an accuser. And that young smart aleck that spoke last to Job never have liked him. Still don't. Maybe I'll forgive him someday. But anyway, um, he still does it to me every time I go through Job, so I'll have to keep forgiving. It was pretty weak, wasn't it? Anyway, here is, here is uh, this guy talking, and he talks about God accusing Job. No, God's not the accuser of the brethren. That's the devil. And it's not Washington. Now, people can be used by the devil just like or as they can be used by God. But the accuser of the brethren is Satan. And the savior of mankind is God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to deal with that, and face that firmly, dear one, we can live successfully. Now, some of you have gotten the message that, you know, I have this problem in my life, and it is, it is eating me up, and that means I don't have any faith. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, because you wouldn't, and then you'd feel guilty about that too. I understand guilt a little bit. Trust me. Stop that. And, and start just going to the Lord. Lord, here is this thing, and it has become a test of my faith. And according to this test, I don't have any faith. Because I do not overcome in this area, and I hate it. Do you talk to God like that? Why not? You don't, have to be, you don't have to be gentle with him. He's not going to get his feelings hurt and fall off the throne. He'll be okay. You can talk to him. Let your fear of God always be there. That makes you wise. That makes you smarter than you would be. But, oh, dear one, God is trying to strengthen your faith because you see whatever he says is true. The promises he has made, he will keep. You can count on that as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. Where you can, whether you can see the sun or not, it's supposed to be uh, showers tomorrow, one, one forecast said. So you may not be able to see the sun, but honey, it's going to rise. It's going to rise. You say, oh, it's the end times. This stuff's going to change. No, it's not. The Bible doesn't say that. Get over that. Read the book again. It's going to rise. And God's promises are more sure than the sunrise. Much 
more sure. Because as a matter of fact, the physical stuff will all pass away in a sense that it will all be changed. The word will never change. The promises are absolutely settled. You can count on it. And I want today, before we leave this room, I want those of you that are just messing around uh, looking at the Lord and saying, I, you know, I, I, I got to do that sometime. Or you might be saying, it's going to be a cold day in August before I do that. You need to change that too. For you, you need to come to the Lord. And he's here and he loves you and his arms are so long that they can reach right to where you are. And it's not with this big fist to smash you. It is with this, these great arms to get you up and start the healing process. Start you building faith, believing the word, having the peace, having the joy, getting the works done that, that he will, has already fixed those things up and you're not even saved yet. That's, what he's, that's how he feels about you. And then those of us that, that have this problem with our faith, I want you to know that God is not mad because you don't believe him. And he will, if you'll go to him, and if it's the 1,001st time after you said you were never going to do that again, and you come back and say, I did it again. I'm sorry, God. Would you forgive me? Now, if he forgives you, see, it's, it's, it's always the first time. You got to remember that, too. See, there's some good stuff in here. <laughs> Our God is trying to save us. He is trying to fill us with joy. He is trying to release us to do the works that he had prepared before we were ever saved. And he will stay with you if you will just mess around where he is. May we pray. Father, <laughs> thank you for loving us.